right. Good morning, Kinsey's, and how's everyone doing? I don't know. Does anyone else have some thunder and lightning going on in their house? I know I do right now. I have an eight-month-old who, as of two days ago, started uh, getting her bottom two teeth in, and it is not fun in our house. Uh, if you see my wife today later, give her an extra hug. She's been up since five, so it'll be fun. Uh, so, welcome to Kensington Shelby. My name is Josh. I'm the worship arts director here. If you're new, we want to say an extra welcome, and we are so glad you're here. We have a place in the lobby for you called Starting Point that we'd love for you to go. We could get to know you a little better and uh, stay in touch. Uh, so today we are ending our series. It's just a phase. That's why we just, we're kind of talking about the families and the thunder and the lightning. Uh, but before we continue with our series today, we want to kind of hint to and kind of talk about what's coming next week. And then and for two weeks after that, uh, it's our new series. And one of the ways we do that is we like to give you guys a little video, a little teaser, a trailer, uh, perhaps of what's coming. So why don't you check this out? Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. And so we have people that are launching new initiatives, new dreams all the time. The beauty of life is when you can say, we did this together. That's what I want. As a church family, we can fuel incredible mission and ministry here and around the world. I think the best is yet to come. I am really excited for this series called Unstoppable Force. A lot of you probably don't know the story of Jesus in the early church in Acts and how it all started. He had a ragtag group of people and apostles and followers that started that church. And it didn't just slowly gain momentum. It actually blew up and took off. And that's kind of the same story of Kensington. As we've been on mission, uh, the same mission from 2,000 years ago, we're still there today. And so we're going to be talking about that. You're going to hear about Kensington. Uh, Kensington and our go, go pulse is what we kind of call it. One of our values is to move out. And so you're going to hear that and it's going to be amazing. Um, also, if you didn't know, Kensington is not just this place, but there's seven campuses, one in Traverse City and then six other in the Detroit metro area. Uh, one of those campuses is our Clinton Township campus. It's obviously in Clinton Township over there, I think. I think that's what Steve said earlier. So, uh, And one of the things that we've been able to do and partner with them through our Everyone campaign that we started two years ago is getting a brand new building that we're building on Hall in 94. And we wanted to show you, we've been showing these little uh, update videos with Frankie the intern. They're, they're, they're pretty entertaining. So why don't you check out what's happening at the building? Oh my gosh, this thing is like a polar vortex. Can you see it, Tom? everybody. It's Frankie the intern here. Oh, we're back to check out the Clinton Township building. We're going to get to go on a tour today. I'm pretty excited. It's our lucky day. All right, everybody, this way, this way. This is where we're going now. Something we're really excited about for this room in particular, though, is that if our alpha class really works out, we're going to be starting Beta and Charlie. Okay, you guys, this is the multi-purpose room. It's going to be used for Alpha and Celebrate Recovery. They're going to have a production booth here in the back. Wow, is this the lobby? Oh, my gosh. Wow, a couple. 
couple, just like several months ago, there was no roof, there was no walls. This is incredible. I've got a lot of pride and joys in this building, but I gotta tell you, one of them is the men's bathroom. So come here, check it out, look at this. Wow. You got your sinks, but the best part is, look, how many stalls you got, look how many urinals you got. Oh man. Look at that. Praise the Lord. And this one right here will be one with a handicap. Spacious. Look at that. Yeah. Plenty of room. Well, excuse me just for a moment. Oh, that's a urinal. Oh, oh, is it? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we can see from the outside, looks like they got this garage door here so they can bring in any vehicles or large items, such as an animal, as we've had on stage before. You guys, look at this auditorium. It's because of all the people who have given to the Everyone campaign. Thank you guys so much. It's going to be thousands of people in this region who don't know Jesus Christ. Great people that God is going to bring, and they're going to move this ball forward, and we don't even know them yet. It's pretty great to think about. All right, you guys, it's been awesome to be on this Clinton Township tour today. I'm pretty excited for the impact that this building is going to have. It's going to be awesome, you guys. Can't wait to see you guys next time. It's Frankie the Intern, signing off. Much love. Hey, Tom, check this out. Check this out. I think they're going to build a pool in here because they got a ton of pool noodles. I'm going to build a raft. Man, I'm so excited to see that building. I don't know. The pool actually was commissioned by our very own Steve Andrews, one of the founding pastors. Uh, he's actually going to be preaching today, but he's uh, picking up Olympic swimming or something. He's the butterfly stroke. Uh, but no, we are really excited about that building. And like Steve said in the video, uh, there are going to be thousands of people in Macomb County that are impacted. There's already a bunch of testimonies about people that are coming to the Lord just from it being built where they live. And so it's, it's going to be amazing. Hey, we have an awesome opportunity for your students. If you have an edge student, uh, this summer we have a mission trip coming up uh, to Racine, Wisconsin and Richie Christie, who's our edge director, he told me to, to tell the kids and to tell the parents that what it is, is like the wild retreat, which is uh, a retreat they do in the fall with power tools and missions and serving. And so if you don't know what that is, don't know what the wild retreat is, it's going to be so much fun. People, uh, students make lifelong friends when they're there. So if you have a student, make sure to sign them up. Uh, make sure to, to tell them that, hey, this is going to be impactful. Or if you're a student here and you're like, I want to go, make sure you find your parent and say, hey, I want to go to this mission trip. And you can sign up online. The registration or the deadline is coming up soon. So not until the summer, but the deadline is soon. So make sure to sign up. Lastly, here at Shelby Campus, we have a really exciting thing coming up this Friday. Uh, and we're calling it our worship night. Uh, did anyone go to the first worship night? It was like uh, in August of last year. It was amazing. We had about 100 people there, and I loved it. It was so much fun. It's at the Troy Chapel. So obviously this is a school on Fridays. So we're meeting at the chapel at our Troy campus on John Arne Square Lake Road at 7 p.m. this coming Friday. And so make sure you're there. If you have kids, you're welcome to bring them. My eight-month-old is going to be there probably singing with us. Who knows? Um, but you're welcome to bring your kids or get a babysitter and make a date out of it. But as a little treat to you guys being here on Sunday uh, before our worship night, I'm releasing uh, our set list, which you can see right here. I wanted to release that ahead of time. It is on Spotify. So if you have a Spotify account or if you don't have a Spotify account, you can still find this playlist, shuffle through the songs. Uh, all you have to do is search Shelby Campus Worship Night. 
click on the playlist. Those are the songs we're singing. So we are really, really excited. I really think uh, you should be there and worship with us. It's just a great time to come together as a family and uh, worship and pray together as we move forward. So if you would, go ahead and stand up, find someone you haven't seen in a week, tell them good morning. And if you could, go ahead and crunch into the middle in case we have any latecomers. Take a look. Oh, it's not too bad. Just a scratch. I think she needs stitches. Stop. I know. I know. I'm so sorry, honey. Girls can be mean. Be careful. And remember, everyone out there is an idiot. Ugh. Oh, honey, you look so beautiful. What's his name? Seriously? Oh, look at you. My goodness. Honey. We're really proud of you. Okay, you're going to do great. I'll FaceTime you around four every day. <laughs> we'll see about that. Are you okay? Yeah, I'll, I'll be fine. It just went so fast. I know. I know. Watching that, I just think about every tear I have shed as a parent. Like tears of joy, tears of heartbreak, tears of hope. I did that journey with three daughters and a son. And man, what a ride. How many of you are in the ride somewhere on this? Can I just show a show of hands? It's exhilarating and crushing isn't it i mean it just it's the it's the full range of human existence i remember my mother saying to me when i was a boy she said i she said you know she said i just don't know how anybody ever learns how to trust the lord without children <laughs> and i remember listening to her say that when i was a kid i'm like are you directing that towards me and the answer was yes but it really does force you to care and it forces you to lean on what God's doing. And I think about that now because my children are 32, 30, 28, and 24. And so I was adding up the years of their life. So I have 120 years of parenting experience now with those four kids. And man, the ups and downs. And I'll be honest with you, Paul is here in this service. Wave your hand so people know who you are. We actually were so discouraged that there were years at Kensington when, when we get to talk in a parenting message, we just said, you know what, we're, gonna, we're just going to take a pass for a couple years because we were, we were just so discouraged. 
And, uh, but you know what I realized? God used some of our greatest failures to bring glory and to do great things in our kids' lives. And some of the things that we thought were our greatest successes weren't success at all. And so I want to encourage you today as we finish this series to don't look at this parenting journey through human eyes. Because if you do, you're going to miss the most important lessons to be learned. I just learned some of those lessons again this, this last week. Paul and I just did a two-week trip to Nepal with Ramesh. How many of you know of Ramesh or have seen a video about Ramesh? Can you see it? Can I just see a show of hands? So about maybe half of you know about Ramesh. Ramesh is the one that rescues the girls that are being trafficked in Nepal. Does that, ring, does that help a little bit? And so over the last 15 years, Ramesh and his band of warrior women, young women, have rescued 90,000 girls at the borders of India to Nepal. And so I've been working with Ramesh for about five years, and we're very invested there. We've sent a ton of teams. Um, Danny Cox, our lead, lead at Troy, is going to be taking a man-up team there in just a few weeks. It, it was amazing, but nothing prepared me for the transformation of broken, destroyed lives into young women now that are business owners, community leaders, house church planters in the rural communities of Nepal. It was the most vivid image of transformation I've ever seen in my life. And you know what it's based on? It was based on the principle that Ramesh saw all of these girls as his daughters. So every one of these girls, he says, these are my daughters. So as we talk about parenting, if you are not a biological parent, you don't actually have children, you don't think this applies to you, then guess what? You have missed the point of your whole life. Because the point of your whole life is not whether you have biological children or not. The point of your whole life is as God pours into you, you begin to pour your life out for others. And you begin to see the people of the earth as your responsibility as your gift. And so all of a sudden, the world is changing because one guy saw the mistreated girls of Nepal as my daughters. In fact, we went to a border town, and while we were there, they pulled a girl aside to interview, and when the girl heard Ramesh say, my daughter, in English, she, we found out she understood English, and she began to weep. Because her parents were dead, her brother was mistreating her, and her life was lost. And she hears a complete stranger say, actually, you're my daughter. This is the power of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to bring to this message today. Because there are so many moments for Paul and I, when our kids walked away from Jesus and they walked away from us, those were super tough moments. But you know what always hit me the hardest? Jesus was still with them, even in their worst decisions. Jesus was still with us, even in our worst parenting mistakes. Jesus never failed. And at Nepal last week, we got to see a vivid image of this. It was kind of a first for, for all the girls in the safe house to see one of the girls that had been rescued, restored to health and to leadership. She has her own food cart business in the border town of um, 
uh, uh, Boot, uh, I think it was in Bootwall. She was back. Uh, a young man is becoming a church planter, was marrying her, and it was the first safe house wedding that all the girls had ever got to experience. And Don Anderson and his wife Sue, their global partners directors, they gave her away in this wedding. I think we have a, do we have a picture of this? Don and Sue, you can't see Sue, she got cut out of the picture. But Don and Sue, after they gave her away, never left because they, because honestly, if they left, she was going to fall to the ground. I have never seen a more nervous bride in my life. She was trembling in the whole thing. And even the young man was very, very nervous. And, but guess what they're going to be doing? They're going to be starting a new church in a different region of Nepal where there are very few churches. This is the transformation that Jesus Christ does. Isn't that phenomenal? That's what, it, that's what happens. That all happened because one man said, I am going to be a father to the fatherless. And that's what Jesus does for us. So let me give you three principles that I think have just blessed me in this journey of what a father and a mother do when we're at our best, okay? And I'll tell you some of my mistakes along the way. Does anybody remember... Uh, Sparky Anderson and the 84 Bless You Boys World Champion Tigers. How many of you? Still one of the, still the greatest summer ever in Detroit in my lifetime. Man, that was fun, wasn't it? Uh, you guys don't believe it. I was a youth director at a church in Livonia, and I used, used the excuse to take kids to the game, you know, like outings. I went to 32 games that year <laughs> and got paid for it. That was the best scam I ever had. But Sparky had a, had a saying, which was always, every year, spring training, he'd say, listen, if you're on this team, it's my way or the highway. He used to say that all the time. If you didn't follow Sparky's rules, you were out. How many of us have had parents wanted to say that a few times? My way or the highway? I said, yeah, so how'd that work out? Not too well. What we said at Kensington from the beginning very often is that rules without relationship equals rebellion. In other words, rules are important. Boundaries are super important. You can't live without boundaries. But if you don't have relationship, eventually those rules are going to blow up. And here's what I learned about the relationship, even in our journey, as imperfect as we were as parents. When you have relationship, no matter how far your kids roam, there's always some place to come back to that's safe and man that was a powerful moment because there were some moments where we didn't know if they would ever really come home and again that's just from decades of parenting experience so here's what i wish i'd done better and this is what i want you to think about today i could get honestly i looked at dave's wilson's doing this message today with ann at, at the orient campus he had like 50 points i really got three points because I could give you a lot, but I don't think you remember them. And we're, we've got an intentional parenting class that starts next week here, next Sunday. I'd love for you to sign up if you really want to become a better parent. It's probably one of the best resources we have. So consider that. Here's what I wish I had done better. I wish I had done better, and it's what I want you to do. Whether you're a parent, grandparent, or even do this for your coworkers tomorrow when you go to work. Is to paint bright pictures of what life can be. This is what I wish I'd done better at. Doggone it. Paint bright pictures. Say it with me. Paint 
bright pictures of what life can be. I never meant to do this, but I spent way too much time warning my kids about the dangers around them. I did not spend enough time painting beautiful pictures of what life can be like. For example, I was always warning my three daughters about boys and the danger and trusting them too easily. And by the way, I was right. (laughs) But you know what? After saying that a few times and keep saying it, all of a sudden, instead of helping them, it almost became an invitation for them to go the opposite direction. When I kept harping on it and kept warning, eventually uh, it is totally counterproductive. I wish I would have painted beautiful pictures, the beautiful vision side of what marriage could be and the joy and the richness that marriage can be. Because you know what? They saw it. They saw Paul and I in a very imperfect marriage that has gotten richer over time, filled with forgiveness, filled with, with love and care and safety and failure and forgiveness and failure and forgiveness. I wish I'd have painted that picture better. I regret too that I didn't ask better questions. We're learning to ask Paul has been studying this the last year. We've been learning to ask better questions. I wish I would have learned more of their language. I wish I would have asked them more often, what do you think? And then listened with my big fat mouth closed. What do you think is such a powerful question, especially when, when you can listen without judgment or opinions and begin to draw them out along the way? I wish I would have listened, listened, listened. It's not an Andrew's family trait, by the way. And as you engage their thoughts, it so much helps them begin to own their own faith. Patrick Holden has given this message to Traverse City, our Traverse City campus today. He says, he says, leverage your words to shape their direction. I'd love for you to write, write this down. I'd like you to write, think about leveraging your words to shape their direction. See, the average kid, they, they've done studies on this. For every... The average kid hears six to seven words of criticism for every one word that is positive. Guys, if you're under 20, you are living an experience that I don't think anyone in history has ever experienced. This barrage of the cellular world, the digital world, is changing the way people operate and think and engage. Do you realize that when you walk into a room and there's 10 people in there and everybody's looking at their cell phones, do you realize in the history of the world, no one has ever walked into a room where there are 10 other people and no one looks at each other? That's never happened, I don't think, in the history of the world until now. And so there's, there's new engagements, new understandings. There's this new addiction. They say the average, and again, this is not just young people, but people that are 50, 60, um, they say every person touches their, their mobile about 2,000 times a day. You touch it 2,000 times a day. This is changing the way we interact at a very core, fundamental human level. And you know what's, what's happened is so interesting. Our children are the first generation in history to grow in the world where they are continually attacked anonymously and ridiculed anonymously. That never happened. When I was a kid, if you ridiculed somebody, that person's going to be in your face. You know, I remember, I can still remember the places I got suspended in my high school for having fist fights. The guy thought you were a piece of crap. He told you your face and you punched him in the face. <laughs> it was a different world. And I'm not saying that was, that was 
I'm not condoning, don't punch in the face. I, bad things can happen to you and the person you're hitting, like they might hit you back and knock you out. But the point is, we're trying to help our children negotiate a world that we and they don't even understand where it's going. I think we're in a moment of cataclysmic change in culture. I want to tell you this one other really regret. I wish I'd listened more. I wish I'd painted brighter pictures. But I, I, you want to hear my deepest regret? I got, I got a million, but I'll give you one. I remember my daughters coming to me with a dress on or a new hairband or something and wanting to be beautiful. And I remember being lukewarm in my affirmations. I remember even when they were little going to say, well, honey, you look beautiful, but you know, real beauty is inside. That's what's most important. I wished I had just let them be beautiful. I could have had the interview talk another time. I wish I'd have let them be beautiful. And if you see my girls, they are beautiful. Even the one that looks like me, it, for some, some way, it looks good on her. <laughs> I remember that I just couldn't simply gasp at their overwhelming beauty and be amazed by it. My timing was so bad. I will say this. My only granddaughter, Marguerite, is 35 in April, and she came up to me the other day. She said, Gimpy, she said, you know, I'm your beautiful only granddaughter. I said, yes, you are, honey, and you are magical. You know, so I'm, I'm learning. So it's never too late. It's not too late to conv if do, and I'm not just saying it's not just for children, but to look at the people in your life, just affirm them as being beautiful and wonderful and marvelous. One of the things that I've learned leading Kensington all these years, you know what? Every person in this room has a unique, unduplicatable gift that nobody else in this room has. The power of what happened here over the years was people learning that God had made them unique and they would bring that out and the whole movement got blessed as a result. One of my favorite stories is four or five valiant, beautiful Kensington women going to Kenya. And we'd been working in Kenya for over a decade and they came back and they said, why are we not doing anything for the women of the Pocahontas? I'm like, uh, because we're stupid. And they said, what about this FGM? What about this horrible practice that has been plaguing women for centuries in the Middle East and Africa, especially? And these warrior women just said, no, we're going to fight this. We're going we're to give the women a pokot, a new vision of beauty that does involve FGM and the, the horrors of it. Since then, we've had more than 100,000 Pocot have had anti-FGM training. Just because four or five beautiful Kensington women said, you know what, this is wrong and we want to do something about it. They began to paint a brighter picture. Love this. Okay, I can go on and on. Let me just, let me say what the brightest picture is. When Jesus was beginning his public ministry, John the Baptist baptized him. And it says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, So when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. 
And behold, a voice from heaven said, we're going to read this together. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Let's read again like we're actually awake and you like me. Okay, let's try it again. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Now think about God the Father. Think about what you know about God or what you were taught about God. This is, the, this is God the Father who loves you. He looks at his son Jesus and he says, You're my beloved. I'm proud of you. I love you. You're my treasure. And you know what? Jesus went to the cross so that we would know what? That we were the beloved. That we were his treasure. That he loved us. We were precious. And, and for those of you who know the Bible, what had Jesus done up to this point? What do we know of what Jesus had done up to this point in his life? What, what record do we have of what he had done? What had he done? Nothing. He hadn't healed people. He hadn't raised anybody from the dead yet. He hadn't preached to thousands of people. He hadn't turned water into wine. He didn't turn, turn, turn you know, uh, bread, uh, two, five loaves and two fishes or five whatever into feeding thousands of people. None of that had happened. And God says, you're my beloved. You know when you, when you paint a bright picture to your children or to your friends, you know what you're saying? You're my beloved. I watched Ramesh do it this last two weeks, and I've never seen anything like it in my life. Oh, my God. It's just amazing. And yet we can all do that. We are doing that. And I was thinking, some of you have never heard those words. I want you to know that you came to the right place today because you know when God the Father looks at you, he looks at you and he sees you as his beloved son and his beloved daughter. You are precious. You are not a waste. You are not an afterthought. You're the beloved. In fact, it's so important to God the Father that at the end of Jesus' three years of public ministry, after he'd done all this phenomenal stuff, he goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration. It's a really cool place. And uh, Peter is talking his head off as usual. Peter's a moron. I love, that's why I love him. Because you know, you know what's so great about Peter? I grew up in a church where if you, if you said anything about any of the disciples, like, oh, you just said something bad about Peter. I'm like, yeah. You ever read the New Testament? He's a moron. And it gives me hope. It means God can use me. And God can use us. He used Peter. Peter's blabbing. Peter's up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's trying to ignore that Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem and go to the cross and be tortured and crucified. He's trying to, he gets up there and it's really cool in the Mount. He goes, man, this is cool. We ought to build some houses up here. Duh. It says, while Peter was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, let's read it together. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And it goes on to say one more phrase. Listen to him. He's saying, listen to my son. Because he is telling you that you're the beloved. Like you could be the worst sinner in this room, probably behind me. Be the angriest person. Be the person most stuck in ruts or addictions. And you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, you're my beloved. He says, you are of inestimable value to me. You're my beloved son, my beloved daughter. Isn't that cool? So what are you going to do? I'm going to go out here today, and by the power of Jesus Christ, you're going to do new. What are you going to paint? Paint brighter pictures of what life can be. Come on, let's do it for each other. 
Let's see what could happen. Ramesh has just painted one of the most amazing masterpieces of my whole life. And you know what? I've come back here. You know what I feel re reignited by? I think I've, I keep underestimating how much Jesus can transform a person's life and then mobilize them. He can take the most rebellious, hateful, self-centered person and do something miraculous. Because I just saw it in Nepal in impossible circumstances. Secondly, so paint bright pictures. The second thing I want you to do, and I'm reflecting on my own mom and dad here, which is live, live, live your faith and values. If you really want to leave an impact on your kids, if you want to really want to fight for the heart of your kids, you know what the greatest thing you can do fight for your kid's heart is you follow Jesus. This is the greatest thing you could do is to live your faith and values. I remember coming home at the end of sixth grade in the summer and my mom and dad saying, Steve, African Inland Mission in Kajabi, Kenya, outside of Nairobi, they need a doctor for the year. We're going to go to Kenya for the year and I'm going to run the hospital. You know, that, it, it couldn't have been any more radical than to say, there's a new outpost on Mars. And we're going to get on a spaceship and we're going to go. It couldn't have been any more foreign or crazy. My father left his medical practice for a year that he'd been building for 20 years. He was 48 years old. Left it and walked away. We rented out our home. They, my mom and dad left behind their first grandchild who had just been born. My brother was a senior in high school and was first team parade magazine, high school All-American in football and baseball as a junior in high school. Defensive end and first baseman. They gave up his senior year. He sang the lead in the school musical. He was president of the student body. But Jesus called us to Kenya. So the two youngest kids, my sister and I, we went to Kenya, changed my life forever. You would not be sitting in this room if my mom and dad hadn't lived out their faith and values because I would not be here. Amen. So this is what it means to live out your faith and values. And I remember when in living your faith and values, there was something so powerful. My dad said to me in one of my few rebellious moments, there was a couple of them. He said, son, I love you so much. I think I was probably 16 years old. So I love you so much, but you need to know something. Your mom and I are following Jesus. And whether or not, so we'd, we'd love to have you on this journey with us, with Jesus. But I want you to know something. Whether you come or not, your mom and I are going to follow Jesus to our last breath. Just want you to know that. Do you know what that was? That was one of the best gifts my father ever gave to me. Because you know what he was saying? He was saying, Steve, my well-being and my faith and my life doesn't hinge on how you do. How many of us as parents are building our whole happiness and our whole structure on how well our kids do? You know what that's called? That's called idolatry. Your kids are not God. And you make them God, they're going to make you miserable and you're going to make them miserable. When my dad said that to me, he set me free because he said, listen, I'd love to have you, but I'm not going to force you to follow Jesus. He said, but let me tell you, I'm following Jesus to my last breath. And you know what? He did. My mom's 92. She's still going strong, still living for Jesus, still leading Bible studies at 92. Come on. Pretty cool. I wish, looking back, 
I wish I had lived out my faith and values better. I, think, I don't think I did as well as my mom and dad. I think I did all right at some points. But I just remember this. Your life speaks so loud, your children are not going to hear what you say as much as they're going to see what you do. Right? You know that's true. So look for moments around the dinner table. I loved how Paula set out snacks after school around the, you know, healthy snacks and unhealthy snacks. She'd put them at the, our breakfast table, our little, was our kitchen dining breakfast palatial table. And the kids would come and sit and eat snacks and do their homework and talk. And so many of the, so many of those moments sparked conversations about faith and about life. But I tell you the thing that was really powerful that I am glad is we didn't just talk about faith. We decided to take risks. We decided to give large portions of our income just because we thought we want our life to match what we say we believe. And so we told our kids, we said, hey, there's a lot of things we're not going to do. You know why? Because we decided to give large portions of our income away. And so we could afford to do that. Like I, I could afford to buy you a used car when you're in high school, but we're, we're not going to do that. Because we're, we're, we're giving them, we're, we're giving to the movement of Christ in the world. Sometimes our kids didn't like that. But you know, I think all these years later, I don't sense anything in them but gratitude for those choices. And so I would say to you, what are the risks you're taking? Where are you fighting against injustice? How are you loving those who dif- disagree with you? Who are you praying for to bring them to Christ? How are you giving sacrificially? Where are you serving? Have you gone on a mission trip? Have you stepped into Detroit? Are you going to do life remodel this summer? How are you live, live, living your faith and values? Because that's what your kids are going to remember. And as you live your faith and your values, I just want to say this. Part of your faith and your values should be joy and hilarity, tenderness and sadness and honesty and transparency in your home. Because your kids will remember those things. I remember Dennis Rainey describing his own family. He said when his last kid graduated from high school and went to college, he and his wife looked at each other and they, and they said to each other, they were inside their house in their kitchen. They said, wow, there is so much laughter in these walls. And I do look back. That's one thing I, I look back on with no regrets. There was so much laughter, even in our mistakes. I'm so grateful for that. And I, I want to do something as I'm wrapping up this message I've never done before. Uh, I'm going to, I just discovered maybe the best parenting section of the whole Bible. I've never taught on it in a parenting message. Isn't that cool? And you're my guinea pigs. You get to be the first people to hear it. It's Acts chapter 20. That's at the near the end of Paul, the, the apostle. Paul was, after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, after the Holy Spirit descended on the, the apostles in a separate incident, Saul was a religious Pharisee, and he was killing Christians, torturing them, and he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. A bright light came and blinded him and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus. And he was converted. And so he started all these churches in the Roman and Greek world. And by the way, the Roman and the Greek world, it'd be just like planting a church in New York City or San Francisco. It was a no holds barred, was wilder than anything you'd experience in America. There was very few moral boundaries, and there was very little value to human life unless you had money. Some things never change. 
And so Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, and he knows, he's, he knows hard th- times are ahead. So he sends to Ephesus, which was a, like the New York City of its day. And he says, sends for the elders of the church. And look at what he says to them, because he he's going he's to describe his spiritual parenting. But human parenting, the same principles apply. Listen to what he says. Best section I've ever read on parenting. He, they come to him, the elders. And by the way, I forgot this in the first service. At the end of this talk, he looks at them and he says, and I want you to know something. I'm never going to see you again. So this speech he's giving, he's giving, and then he tells these, his spiritual children, he says, I'm never going to see you again. This is it. This is goodbye. And he says, they fell on him and wept over him. So this is what he says. He says, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. And in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks, that's anybody who's not a Jew, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now compelled by the Holy Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now that's Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 24. Read the whole chapter. It's marvelous. It's incredible. I hope you, will someone, will you read it today? Anybody? Okay, six people. Wonderful. Go home and read it. Change your life. Paul is literally saying this as their spiritual parent. He says, first of all, I came and I served you. When I think of all the regrets and all the things we did wrong, the thing, one of the things we did right is I think, and I think one of the reasons that our daughters in their, in their mid-20s really came back to our heart is because that woman right there served them all the years. All the years when all three girls, when they were juniors or seniors in high school, every one of them looked at both of us and said, we can't wait to get out of this house. And I never said it, but I thought it in my mind, and I can't wait for you to leave. <laughs> Not really, but sometimes I felt that way. And they did leave. And there were times we didn't know if they were going to return. But one of the things that brings people home is a servant heart. He also said he was humble among them. In other words, he didn't pretend to to have it all together. It says he had tears, which meant he was transparent and honest about his brokenness. He also uh, faced trials and plots. And I want to say something as a parent. This has always been true, but it feels more so than ever. I've never, never noticed this because when we were kids, as we became teenagers, we had more loyalty to our peers then to our parents, what's happened though is now as the culture is shifting, people actually have more loyalty to their cell phone. I'm not kidding you. People rather lose their cell friends, their, their friends and lose their cell friends. Yeah. 
That's what we have now. Sell friends. And I'm not just talking to young people. I'm talking about all of us. It's, uh, and there, it feels like there are plots to dehumanize us. Because there's something about when you're just living in the vortex of a screen all day. It does something to your heart. Uh, levels of depression and anxiety and defeatism are higher among our young people than they've ever been in history and ever in recorded history of any time they've ever done polls or surveys. And we've got to help them negotiate that and, 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 and be transparent about our own lives. He also was a truth teller and he endured trials. He was not afraid to say the hard thing. He was bold and he was led by the Holy Spirit. And then, this is great. What does he say? He says, I'm going to Jerusalem and I don't know what's going to happen to me there. You know what Paul modeled as their spiritual father? He was modeling that you follow Jesus even without guarantees. It's funny, when, we were, when our kids were young, I wrote up a contract for God and me. Anybody know my contract? My contract was, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be a good father, good husband. I'm going to do ministry. I'm going to, I'm going to serve you with all my life. And the contract is, then you're going to make sure that my kids are awesome. And that they always love you. And that they don't have a sin nature. And that they never rebel. And, much, and many years later, I look back at that contract. You know what I realized? Jesus never signed it. He never signed the contract. And I looked on the back, and he'd actually written a different contract. You know what the, new, the real contract was? Steve, you follow me, period. That's the only contract I make. That was the contract Paul's living. He's saying, I'm going, and, there's, and I have no guarantee what's going to happen to me. I just know I'm going to follow Jesus until I die. That's the greatest, maybe the greatest gift you could give to your kids, is for them to see you following Jesus until you die. And then this last one I love. He goes, I consider my life worth nothing to me, only to finish the race and testify of the good news of the grace of God. You know what is a great model for your kids? Is that it's not all about you. And that ultimately there are things bigger than your own life. To teach your kids that there's something way more important to your kids than happiness, but to live a life of purpose greater than themselves. That's a way, that's a way better gift than happiness. Because you go for happiness, you never get it. You go for pleasure, it's, you go for satisfaction and pleasure, you never get it. Let me tell you, there aren't enough cheeseburgers in the world to satisfy me. Because pleasure is never the answer. Pleasure is a great gift of God, but only in the context of living life for a greater purpose. That's what I watched Ramesh do this last week. We were at a border station. I didn't, I didn't tell this. This service did about the girl, the girl traffic. Did I mention that at the beginning of the service? I did. When he said my daughter. Okay. Can't remember. That was the last senior moment. Okay. <laughs> As I watched Ramesh make these daughters these girls with an absolute feeling of worthlessness realize their incredible value. I want to share one last great moment from Nepal. We were one of the safe houses, and two of the young girls, one girl was about 17, one girl was 16. One girl was sold by her parents to be an indentured servant in a house where she was sexually abused from 9 to 17. And finally rescued from this, she told her story. And as she wept, 
all 35 girls that were in the room were all sobbing and weeping. That's where they begin in this journey of transformation. And we prayed for them and we loved them. And afterwards, it was, it was a top five moment in my whole life. Almost every one of those girls came up to Paula and the other women that were there and just hugged them and held them. And it was so funny. Paula read something somewhere and says, everyone needs to know that, there's, that they are the sparkle in someone else's eye. She felt like the Lord told her when we were in Nepal that every time she saw one of these girls that they would see the sparkle in her eye. And so every one of these girls came and just wept on Paula. And I'm just standing watching and they were all mostly taller than you. You know, in Nepal, people aren't that tall, but they're hugging Paul. And Paul would take each of these beautiful girls. And, oh, I mean, I'm telling you, these Nepali women are beautiful. It's amazing. These young girls are so gorgeous. And Paul would, took each one of them in their face, and she just would look them in the face. You're the beloved. Don't care where you've been or what's happened. You're the beloved. living her faith, Paula, living her faith and values and with these girls. And then you know what happened after that? This is crazy. Doesn't have anything to do with the message. Dance party broke out. We all remember, we just, we just went crazy. And the girls were just, it was like joy. All of a sudden, weeping, weeping, weeping. And all of a sudden, there's just this unrestrained joy and dancing and craziness. Man, talk about being alive. Or you can just spend your life trying to be happy. I just want to say, what a drag. Like, what a drag spending your life trying to be happy. Because if you spend your life living for purpose, you know, to say, if you'd come with me, it took us 55 hours to get to Kathmandu because we missed a flight. Traveling one way, 55 hours, get from Detroit to Kathmandu. The flight home worked well. It only took 37 hours to get home. Driving on dirty, dusty roads behind trucks spewing diesel, live, living, eating food, getting diarrhea, all kinds of fun. Thank God for Cipro. And, and, I, and some of you are going, well, I'd never do that. You know what? You're missing it. You want to live a, just a life where you just are clean every day at the end of the day? No dust on you? No pain on you, no tears on you, then you never lived. Guys, this is the invitation that Jesus gives to live with him in his presence and to see the beauty of the world in the most impossible situations. You don't have to go to Nepal. You can go across the street to your neighbor. This is the invitation that Jesus is giving us. And so give your kids a vision for living faith and values. The last one is this. And I'm going to actually invite the band up to come up for this as we're finishing. Um, and this last one is probably the most important. Actually, you know what? As the band's coming out, let's take the offering. Ushers, let's do that now. I forgot uh, in the last service to take the offering. I'm new to church. I'm new to church work. And so a little rookie mistake. But as that goes around, some of you are visiting. Uh, you're welcome to let the offering go by. You're also welcome to give. And I th for the rest of us, man, when this offering pouch goes by, some of you are giving electronically or whatever, you know what you're, you're giving to Nepal. I, I actually have a picture. If anyone wants to come down, I'll show it to you. I took a beautiful picture of the new safe house going up that's going to house uh, 40 girls. It's absolutely beautiful, incredible. 
and lives are going to be transformed, and those women are going to go out and change the world. That's the kind of stuff your giving goes towards. So thank you for being a partner with us and for the Clinton Township building. We're going to talk more about that next month. So as the band gets ready to lead us in the song, Only Jesus, I thought it was perfect because this was my actual, this was my point before I knew that the song we were going to sing was this one. And this is my last point. Only Jesus can love my children like I want to love them. Because I tell you, there were some times when my kids didn't love me very much and didn't love their mom very much. And I'll tell you, there were some times we didn't love them very much either. At least the feeling of love. Well, the feeling, there weren't a lot of warm fuzzies. That's what I learned, relearned again in Nepal this week. You know what Jesus says? I'll be a father to the fatherless. And I'll be a mother to those without a mother. There were moments when I was so hurt by my kids because they had been, at times, uncaring. And I'm sure they felt the same way for me. And I realized, you know what? Maybe I don't love them right now as much as I would want to. But Jesus has said that he will never leave them, never forsake them. Wherever they go, he goes with them. He'll be faithful. He can be trusted. That carried me through a lot of years when I felt so much shame and sadness about some of my own failures to realize that Jesus never fails. It's only Jesus. Only Jesus can love like this. And if you don't believe me, I just would like to finish by reminding you of this phrase, and then we'll, we'll finish with some beautiful music. 1 Corinthians 13 is known in the Bible as the love chapter. Uh, how many of you had 1 Corinthians 13 read at your wedding? Anybody in the room? Look around. 30, 30 40 people probably. It's beautiful. It's the most beautiful description of love. Let me read part of it to you. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy or boast. It's not it's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Remember one of my daughters came back to me after a period of us being really separated relationship and she wanted to be restored. And you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to bring out the list because my love was so conditional. You ever done that? You ever brought out the list? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. You see, not only is this the most beautiful description of love, it's also the most damning picture 
to all of us of how we failed to love. There's not one older person in this room that will claim this. If you're an honest person, you read this and you go, wow. I failed to protect. I kept record of wrongs. I was angry all the time. I was impatient. I didn't, I, I gave up. I, I failed. I wasn't patient. I wasn't kind. I was proud. I was unforgiving. That's, so even though it's beautiful, you read it. The other part is you realize, put your name in front of this. Instead of saying love is patient, love, you, you've done that, right? Steve is patient. Steve is kind. Steve does not boast, not proud. No, I fail at every turn in this description. But guess what? You shine this passage on Jesus. Huh? You shine it on Jesus, man, and just, this is how we know what love is. First John says, not that we loved him, but that he loved us first. First John four nineteen, We love because he loved us first. And his love is perfect. As he hung on the cross, he didn't condemn. He didn't recriminate. He said, Father, forgive them. That's what love is. And if that kind of love that Jesus has can begin to flow in our families... There is no problem and no brokenness that he can't heal. So, Father, thank you. Thank you that you are an amazing Father, that your description of your love for us is you, you're the Father who keeps reaching, keeps extending. That Jesus, you came to show us the Father, of what the Father looks like. And I want to thank you for every man and woman and boy and girl in this room. I want to thank you for every parent regret. That you would take that regret and use it for good and for your glory. That you would take every discouraged person who wanted to give up on their kids or give up on their life or give up on loving the people around them today. That you would restore your loving perseverance in their hearts. That you would work in us beyond anything that we could imagine that you would love through us like we'd like to love but can't do it without you. Before I walk off the stage, let me read this last thing. Josh, Josh wanted me to read this. He likes this. When we say only Jesus, I want you to remember this. If you think you can love, I wrote this. This is good. You're going to want to, you can tweet this. If you think you can love like Jesus without Jesus, then you have just made love another impossible rule to follow. You can't do it. You can't do it without Jesus. Try and do it. Do the best you can. But in the end, the love that forgives, the love that sacrifices, the love that dies. You know, for too often, Christianity was d defined by what would we fight for? What would we kill for? You know, Jesus... Jesus defined love, love as love is not about what you'd fight for. Love is what you'd die for and allow yourself to be killed for. Allow you to lay your life down for others. That's what love is, whether it's parenting or friendship or a coworker. It's only Jesus.
stand and sing with us, please? Just 
guys did a great job today. Thank you so much. You know, I was just thinking of those two songs, and I was thinking I'm going to rest on your promises. You know, one of the things about being a, a parent for a long time, having grandchildren now, is the longer you've been a parent, the more sleepless nights you've had. Right? Grandparents up there? I was thinking of there were nights, they were pretty dramatic for both Paul and I. We were so worried and so, so, so challenged by life that couldn't, we couldn't sleep. And I'd wake up, she'd be gone from the bed, and I'd be sleeping. And I'm like, where in the heck is she? And I'd go down and she'd be reading her Bible and praying in our great room. And then there were other nights where she'd wake up and I'd be gone and she'd come down and find me reading my Bible and praying and crying out to God. Because no matter how together you are, you always reach this point in your life where you don't have the answers. And you're going to, like, where do I go? Where do I go? Who's going to be faithful? Who's never going to let me down? Who's, you know, it's Jesus. It's Jesus only. It was funny. I, my brothers and I, we were playing at a golf scramble in Florida years ago. I was in college. And we caught our dad using the foot wedge. Anybody know what a foot wedge is? It's the best club. It's the best club you can have in your bag. It's when your, your ball comes up by, behind a tree and, you, and you, you just take it and you move it behind, away from the tree so you have a shot. We caught Dad cheating. It was a tournament we were playing, and, man, we really jumped on his case. And uh, he was wrong, cheater. And, but he said something to me I never forgot. He said, son, he had said it to me before. He said, listen, he said, if you're expecting me to never let you down in this life, he says, you're going to be sorely disappointed. There's only one person who's never going to not let you down. Is Jesus Christ. He is going to be faithful to the end. And I think, I just think about all the years of his faithfulness. When I'm sitting here looking at you, I know you're longing to experience the faithfulness of Jesus. I know you're in the, you're, you're in the challenges of life. Every one of us, none of us escape it. And yet the richness, the exhilaration, and the exhaustion, the successes, the losses, the worries, the relief, all of this plays in. It's what it, it means to be human. But in the midst of all this, Jesus is alive and his love is not an impossible dream to attain. It's an impossible gift given to us without cost. That's what's so beautiful about it. So as you move forth in your family, Jesus is strong enough and great enough to transform. If he can transform these girls in Nepal, he can do anything. That's what I brought back. And he's transforming us and moving in us. So let's, let's, let's grow. Let's learn. Let's heal. Let's step aside to do what we need to do. But let's see Jesus move in us, okay? And be back next week for when we talk about the team of Jesus as an un, the power of Jesus as an unstoppable force, okay? Oh, one last thing. Intentional parenting. Sign up in the lobby. And parents, get your kids. We have these beautiful mission statements for families. Please make sure you get copies of those, okay? All right, see you.